Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this new day. Now we ask you for the light of your presence in our hearts so that our new day will bring the glory fitting to your name and love. In precious, son, uh, precious name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Before I read uh, today's passage, let me remind you of uh, yesterday's uh, passage where Paul talks about life of a faithful pastor and fearless preacher whose life was insignificant and miserable in the worldly standards, yet magnificent and important in God's eyes. Today, Paul continued to exhort the Corinthians to live out their faith holy and pure. Now let us read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 7, verse 1. 14 to uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be yoked together with the unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with the darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with the unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of a living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean things, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything and that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What does it mean to live a holy and pure for God? Paul clarifies the double-fold meaning of a holiness or spiritual purity today. First of all, holy means separate from the world. Holy means separate from the world. That's what we will uh, look at today. For that, Paul depicts a Christian holiness in the world as the most mismatching reality. When we see two different things mismatching, we, we say things like, oh, they are like oil and water. That's what Paul is describing holiness as a different and separate reality. In the first part of today's passage, verse 14 to 16, Paul asks five rhetorical questions to each of which expect a no in an answer. In so doing so, he employs five synonyms such as partnership, fellowship, accord, common, and agreement, and then sets in opposition two groups or two ideas. The whole structure of verses 14 to 16, with its skillful repetition, serves to drive home the distance that should exist between Christians and pagans. Let me read verse 14 to 16 one more time. Do not be yoked together with the unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with the darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between temple of God and temple of idols? Paul uses several sets of contrast, righteousness and wickedness, verse 14, and light and darkness, again verse 14, Christ and Belial, verse 15, and believer and unbelievers, and then temple of God and temple of idols. Here Paul was asking rhetorical questions. Such as, so he, you can change this, this passage. Can there be fellowship with the wickedness? Can there be harmony with the Belial? Can they be a Christian accord with the non-believer? Can there be agreement with the idols? The answer is a no, 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 resounding no. That's the first meaning of a holiness, the absolute separation from the world. Now, I want us to know, while Paul was describing Christian life, clearly different and separate reality from those of a pagans and non-believers, his call for holiness was unique, very unique in Greco-Roman world. At the time, religious pluralism was so prevalent that polytheistic mindset was widespread and assumed and universal. There were so many temples for so many different gods that no one ever thought the exclusive devotion to one god or one religion was either necessary or helpful. Just like everyone has a different taste of a food, people assumed back then that everyone has a different taste of a god and religion and everyone should respect and tolerate other people's religious choices. By the way, temple in the Greco-Roman world had a more social functions than the religious. That's where people meet, socialize, and do business, and entertain each other. Piety in Latin, pietas, and Latin is a pietas, which literally means uh, devotion. A piety back then actually means social or civic duty more than any religious nature. It was not a devotion to a religious exclusivity, but simple social custom to religious consumption. When I visited an ancient Roman town, its ruins in central Israel, that people call Samaria in Jesus' time, I saw something that I never forget. I was shocked. I saw temple, a naos in Greek, and market agora next to each other in the plaza, in the center of the town. And between them, guess what? There was brothel, religious brothel. Ancient religions, ancient religious religions were maximizing practical and consumer mindset. So they are saying like this, hey, come and visit our temple, partake in our religious ritual. And by the way, satisfy your, your biological sexual desires. And then you can also uh, conduct your business. And by the way, you can shop or buy a little necklace and toy for your wife and your children, you know, for home. So it was a very easy to appear to remain involved in idolatry since religion penetrated in every area of ancient life. So if you remember, Paul 
Earlier in 1 Corinthians, counsel the Corinthians how far they go in the use of a food that has been sacrificed to idols. A great part of uh, what was available for purchase in the marketplace had been already sacrificed first to the pagan temple and then came out into the market. If the Christians bought this, were they committing idolatry? That's what the Corinthians were asking. Could a Christian uh, take a part in the festival meals held in the pagan temples? And also, can Christian eat a sacrificial, sacrificial food in friend's house? This is all the questions Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 because it was a prevalent behavior back then. Paul had to dealt with only uh, with uh, Paul. It was a Paul, uh, not only just the issue of a sacrificial food, but it was really difficult to see other issues that, uh, that Christians have to sort it out. So for instance, if a Christian has a partner with a, uh, part, a business partner who is a pagan, and then before they uh, start their business, he wants to wish some uh, pagan omens or horoscope cast or spell, what should the Christians do? You know, in, Korea, in South Korea, or, uh, before they make a movie, they movie or drama, they offer uh, this a customary sort of a, a, a pagan worship called Kosa to whatever God, you know, people don't take it seriously, but that's a custom. As a Christian, you know, how do you participate in those you know, rituals, even though it was for just a social custom? If a bad harvest threatens and the neighborhood decide to, you know, uh, pacify the local deity with uh, their sacrifices, could a Christian easily stand apart from community involvement? As we recognize this universal cultural religious ethos of a pagan polytheistic religious pluralism in Paul's time, I want us to recognize why Christians stood up as a sore thumbs and were persecuted. The most important fact of a Christian persecution for early, especially uh, early Christianity that we need to remember is that they were mostly local incident rather than empire-wide inquisition. Just like the Ephesian riot, riots in the Acts 19, it was a local pagan society that couldn't tolerate the exclusive devotion of their Christians, citizens, or neighbors. In other words, early Christians paid a, a due and duly prized for their holiness, for the separation from the world of a polytheism and religious pluralism and religious consumerism. Early Christians lived a holy life and received the horrors of a persecution. Tomorrow we will see the second part where Paul was saying that that's a worth. For today, let us remember this Paul's rhetorical question. For what righteousness, what do righteousness, wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with the darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between temple of God and temple of our idols? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus told us that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We don't belong to the world. We belong to you, our holy God, who wholly loved sinners with the sacrifice of your only Son. Before we love you with all of our hearts and all of our strength, you first loved us. Help us remember that our holiness comes from your holy love for us. Grant us a wisdom and courage to live today, separately from worldly wisdom and worldly mindset and worldly goals, but with, with, but with your wisdom and with your mind and with your heart. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen.